Hey friends, this is Boss Barista. I'm Ashley Rodriguez. It's hard not to picture it once you hear the name. Little waves lapping on the sand, water rushing between your toes, the warmth of the sun on your shoulders, an abiding feeling of absolute calm. Aureli Barrera de Grotsky came up with the name Little Waves in a text message. She's the co-owner and founder of The Roastery and its accompanying retail locations called Coco Cinnamon in Durham, North Carolina. She's admittedly shy, someone who describes herself as quiet and reserved, but she relishes moments of awareness and moments where you really notice. She describes herself as being comfortable in the meta. When I think of Little Waves, I also think of a number, 230. That's the number of retail coffee bags the roastery needs to sell every day to keep the doors open. After the novel coronavirus shut down coffee shops across the globe, Aureli and her partner Leon went immediately into planning and preservation mode. They figured out exactly how much business they needed to do down to the day to keep their business going without laying off any employees. In this conversation, we oscillate between the meta and the concrete. Some of the topics we discuss are straightforward. Some of them are weird and obscure. And most land somewhere in the middle. Just to get a little meta here myself, breaking down assumptions is why I love interviewing people and asking questions. There's always more behind every story. And in this episode, we do just that. We break down assumptions and we learn more about the story of Little Waves. Here's Aureli. Where does your coffee story start? Does it start for you when you decided to open a business or does it start earlier than that? It starts... I would say one or two years before that. Um, my coffee journey starts in 2009. Um, after I graduated from UNC Chapel Hill, I moved back to um, live with my parents in Cherokee, North Carolina. And uh, moving back, having just graduated. I feel like that's like kind of the story of every graduate, right? It's like, what do I do now? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Cool. That was fun. Now what? Um, And I studied Spanish. I wanted to be a Spanish teacher. And when I moved back to Cherokee, I like wasn't ready to jump quite into that yet. Um, And I wanted to do something that was in a creative mindset Um, and I applied to work at this coffee shop that was in Cherokee that was started um, co-founded by my now husband Um, and for me it was really more about the space and how the space was such a like foundational place for people in the community um having grown up in in Cherokee like I got to really see the impact that it had on community members that didn't necessarily like like weren't necessarily like 
church or football people. Um, yeah, so it was nice. I was able to see the impact because I had been away for a while, like going to school. And so coming back and seeing it in action, I was just like, I don't know, it had an impact on me and I wanted to participate in that. And I wanted to learn more about what creating space like that looked like. I think it's really fascinating to reflect on one's very first almost imprint of coffee in a way, because I think back to my very first coffee shop job. um, And part of why I'm kind of going back to that is we graduated the same year. I graduated in 2009 as well. And I was going to, and I was a teacher. I taught middle school math and science right after I graduated from college. And then I worked at a coffee shop because I, I couldn't do it. I was not old enough to assume the responsibility of teaching middle school math and science at that time. Mm-hmm. And it was also, you know, you, you graduated in the same economy I did too. So <laughs> you knew what that was like. Yeah. Um, and so I think about my very first coffee shop job where we were this really tight unit of about, it was a very, you know, midtown Manhattan, super busy coffee shop. It was just like, grab and go really fast paced. And because of that, we were such a tight knit unit. And I have this one manager who really encouraged us to be the best versions of ourselves. And she'd be like, you're good at this, like, go do that. And mm-hmm. I, you're good at this other thing, go do that. And I think a lot about that now in my life. And mm-hmm. so it's interesting you reflecting on that first imprint of coffee, I imagine had a lot to do with what cocoa cinnamon looks like now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, very much so. so I, I feel like the, um, even the coffee shop that like Leon created with his partner at the time, I mean, the fact that Leon is, you know, the co-founder of Coco Cinnamon and Little Waves, um, plays a huge role in like how he, like his imprint in that coffee shop is also in this one. Um, but just like the whole idea of embracing culture and really kind of putting culture and history and the beautiful elements that sometimes get forgotten in history. Um, And by that, I mean like the people who get erased when history is being told, Um, bringing that story to the forefront. I thought they did a really beautiful job, especially being in Cherokee. Um, his partner is Cherokee as well. So I don't know. I think that that concept really stuck with me as well. And like, you know, trying to think about coffee and not just coffee, but chocolate. Chocolate was also another aspect of learning the history of chocolate. And that had a huge imprint on me and my, even my older brother, whose palate is like that of a five-year-old's. Like he, (laughs) all he wants is like nothing green, no vegetables. And when we started Cocoa Cinnamon, we started in the kitchen, in my mom's kitchen in Western Carolina. And we started off with chocolate and like we started like messing around with like making truffles and making like tempered chocolate. And this was after reading uh, this book on the history of chocolate and getting to know that like cacao is originally from, you know, Latin America, the Amazons, and it made its way over to, you know, the Aztecs and and the Mayans. And that whole 
rich history, like just really infused, I don't know, this wonder that like, why aren't these stories being told, you know, in different formats? And here we are working with these products, like why not highlight these stories through naming chocolates after these stories? Uh, that's so cool to hear because it seems like there's just in general a lot of interconnectedness in your life and in the way that Coco Cinnamon looks and the way that Little Waves has kind of come to be. I was reading that the names for these businesses came from like dreams or they came from like the ethereal world, like the world of experience, which is really interesting. Um, because I imagine for a lot of people who open up coffee shops, it's like, oh, I just want to open up a coffee shop and they go do it. But it seems like you and Leon and the team around you have been able to weave in personal experience to not only highlight the stories of others, but to also, I don't know, I guess, create more meaning as well, like to add to that story. Yeah. I mean, I feel like that that's kind of the lens in which we see everything, right? And that we like approach everything. Our approach is like pretty much like heart driven. And also like what I was saying earlier in terms of like history driven and and culture driven. And it's all about honoring as opposed to appropriating and bringing things to light and I think that it's super important to see yourself even within the products. And so, yeah, like sometimes, you know, we have specials that are created by some of our staff members. And I think it's really cool. Like we get to explore, I mean, we gain so much from it because we get to explore, you know, somebody's iteration of their culture and their expression through a drink. Um. But yeah, it, I think it's like, for us, it's really important to honor those stories. And like you were saying, like, yeah, I, like everything that we've done up until now has been kind of guided by the universe. Like if it didn't feel, if it didn't feel right, like we wouldn't go forward with it. And it's like, Everything that we've done up until now, like I said, has been heart driven and it really does tell us like when something isn't the right path for us. Um, Coco Cinnamon did come to Leon in a dream. Little Waves was like it came from a text message while we were falling in love. Um, And it's like this visual of this like calmness of little waves kind of like rushing up against like up, up the shore. Um, Leon is originally from Long Island, so he was thinking about those little waves um, when he sent me that message. And it was through this, like, interaction of I was sending him, like, these, like, random magic realism uh, text messages of just, like, (laughs) you know, I feel like living in the Great Smoky Mountains just that's kind of, I was just expressing this with my friends the other day that like lately I've been feeling, um, I've been falling deeper into my safety zone of, or my comfort zone of being in the meta. I feel like I thrive in the meta. (laughs) (laughs) 
and I feel like Cherokee is very much like an it like a place that has a lot of history and a lot of like basically like if you don't believe in ghosts then you're the odd one out (laughs) you're speaking my language (laughs) (laughs) um I feel like I feel like I've typed the word meta like seven times this week for very (laughs) different reasons. Um, And especially when it comes to podcasting and storytelling, we're going to get a little meta here, um, I guess. Um, Maybe I'm using that word wrong. I feel like I'm going to have an Alanis Morissette moment where I'm like, oh, ironic. I wasn't using that right. (laughs) Um, But I think when I think about these conversations and I think about what I want to achieve when I have them. I'm always looking for that interconnectedness, right? Like I'm yeah. always looking for the ways that like the the things that you've experienced in your life inform the experiences that you're currently having. And those are not always obvious. And that's why I really like doing these interviews because I think it really forces people, myself included, to reflect back on moments that were important and connect them to bigger moments that maybe if you don't really sit down and think about it, you don't really have time to reflect on. But it seems like you do that pretty much all the time. Yeah, I feel like honestly, like one of the things that I love and appreciate about coffee is that it is a small cosmos of life lessons that literally like are mirror to yourself. And I feel like you can literally learn how to ascend or how to like connect to your higher self through coffee with all the lessons that you learn in this industry. Like there are so many beautiful lessons and so many hard lessons. And it's just a matter of like literally paying attention and learning from them and like letting go of your ego. I I want to talk about that a little bit because I think in this current moment, you know, we're if you're listening to this not necessarily live, this will come out in a couple of weeks, but if you're listening to this in 2020, COVID is currently affecting your life and I feel like you've gotten a lot of attention attention specifically because you have been able to keep on your entire team. You've had a really specific goal of how much coffee you need to roast to keep your team on. Um, and that's amazing. There's there's so much good stuff to talk about there, and I definitely want to talk about that. But going back to something you just said about learning from mistakes, I wonder, as somebody who's a leader, as someone who owns a business, like what have been some of those experiences? Like What are some of those hard lessons that you've learned through coffee? And they don't have to be like tangible. They don't have to be like, I learned to do this I learned how to do that but maybe some of the bigger life lessons that you've learned kind of on this journey yeah I've learned the importance of clear communication (laughs) Mm -hmm. um and and learning how to clearly communicate you know like um I feel like honestly that's been the biggest one I feel like communication is such a huge and broad topic, especially when you're dealing with, um, we do have a lot of younger people on our team and this is their first job. And, you know, it's like, as I'm getting older, like one of the things that I feel like is important and 
is a tangible is that like I can really resonate with a lot of our team members because we have a lot of like women of color, a lot of Latina women in in our business and on our team. And I see some of myself in in some of their actions and in some of their like shyness and even just like, I don't know, my, I, I grew up with like a very quiet family in the sense of like when it comes to talking about our feelings. Um, but we're also very loud when we're together, you know, like we're a very joyful bunch when we're together. But when we're by ourselves, we're like, I don't know, I'm, I'm a very quiet person. And I see that in a lot of our team members. And I feel like sometimes it's really hard to, you know, obviously, like, you can't support somebody if you don't know what their needs are. And sometimes it's like, you don't even know as a person that you can ask for things, or that you can express your needs, because sometimes we just don't grow up knowing that and or being told that that's something that's valuable. Um, so just, you know, from my own personal experience, I can see that when that's playing a role in communication and lack of communication. Um, so I feel like it's just been like, one of the things is just like also realizing like, what do I have to offer and what are my strengths and where, what are my weaknesses and how can me and Leon together balance each other out or reach out to other people on our team and leadership that can help fill in those gaps. So really kind of depending on each other to create a wholesome system and, and holding each other accountable too. And, and, and doing that from, again, like a heart-driven space. Um, I feel like, yeah, I think that communication has been the biggest like learning journey for me as someone who, yeah. you know, has a very similar experience to a lot of our team members. Yeah, that's a critical thing to point out because, and I think you said this as well, it's communication is so broad so it's easy to kind of point to communication as a tool or a resource and kind of to simplify it but it really is about like does somebody feel comfortable saying to me that they need the day off or will they get nervous that there'll be some sort of retaliation or if this is mm -hmm. someone's first job can they say to me and feel safe saying like i need this or i need that um which i think is it's easy to assume that those things are obvious, especially right. if you come from a background where your needs are met. Yeah. Without question. Yeah. And um, then also just like how people receive information, you know, and then, you know, we all come from different backgrounds and different experiences and somebody's like louder tone might come off as like, you know, too much or like not too much, but like, offensive or I don't know I don't know what the right analogy here is but you know Leon and I are very different when it comes to communication like he's like a not he's his family and ancestry is like off the boat New Yorker and very much like the Italian side of his family like he's very like he can be loud and like he talks a lot more than I do. <laughs> um, and so sometimes it's like, you know, I think that's been a fun journey too, like learning each other's like 
communication styles and how that plays a role in our business as well. Um, but yeah, I just feel like, you know, just kind of learning to like how you take information in and as leaders, like how do we take all of those things into account and also kind of take care of ourselves in within all of that. So it's this whole nuanced thing that has so many complexities. And again, going back to the meta of like, you know, do this, but don't do this kind of thing. Um, I think about the book um, Conference of the Birds. Um, and that whole book is about like, you know, at the end of it is about oneness, but it's about how you get to this point is about bringing yourself, but leaving yourself. And it's just filled with these contradictions. And I feel like when it comes to communication, it's this fine balance of like being able to be present and to be able to voice your needs. And at the same time, leave room for the other person to be able to voice their needs of you as well. Does that make sense? That totally makes sense. You haven't said a single thing that doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> yeah, I feel like that's um, been like just like a big eye opener of like the experience of like communication and a lot of the issues that ever arise are always around communication or misunderstanding of communication. And so it's just like kind of giving each other a little bit of grace and benefit of the doubt that like, even though it felt this way, like it wasn't meant that way. And if it was meant right. that way, then Especially, that's a whole other issue. But for the most right. part. Right. And that's something else to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. Especially as the leader or as the person in the position of power, I think it's always the responsibility of that person to step back and be like, how was this conveyed? How did this other person take it? Because you have that space, because you're in a little more of a secure position, mm -hmm. which is really hard mm -hmm. to recognize. Um, but it seems like you have. And I want to talk a little bit about the way that you portray yourself and the way that Little Waves portrays itself. So when I was on the website, um, it says like Coco Cinnamon is a Latina led uh, company. And I was wondering if that's something that you've always you've always led with? Yeah, uh, I feel like yes and no. <laughs> um, right in that meta, right in the duality. <laughs> always. Um, yes, in the sense that being Latina has always been a part of my identity. Like being Mexican is something that I have held on to like grippingly. Like I have, it's part of who I am, like to its core in the sense of being born in, in Mexico and moving to the United States at six years old, I felt like I needed to hang on to that identity to not lose it. And because I did grow up in the United States. And so my culture is, I, I resonate so hard with Selena because even though I'm not Mexican American, I, the role that she had to play in both like, Mexican and, you know, American culture is very similar to what I feel like a lot of like, you know, young immigrant kids have to deal with. And even if they're not immigrant kids, like children of immigrants, you know, like 
speaking the language and being enough of that culture at home and with their family, but also fitting in in a predominantly white school or like, you know, a, a white community and just trying to figure out, especially as a child, like if you're enough, you know, like how can I be enough in this culture that I don't see myself in? Um, I feel like that has always stayed with me and it's always been a part of me but in terms of our business I've never necessarily like I know that representation matters and it's always mattered to me and I think in the very beginning of our business like it was a part of who we were but it wasn't necessarily at the forefront we weren't necessarily using it to um, I guess market ourselves um and I think a lot of that just had to do with like me learning how to step into the power of what that meant and being comfortable with it. Because like I said earlier, like I am much quieter and I don't like the limelight. And the fact that I'm doing this podcast with you is like, I'm ascending, <laughs> yo. <laughs> you're getting, you're, you're climbing up the steps. Yes. I, I feel like, yeah, there's been a lot of work from like 2010 when we first started our business to now of being able to step into that power of, you know, being in a leadership position. And yeah, I mean, it seems silly, like why, like that it needed to take me that long to get there, but who's putting metrics on aligning with like your higher self you know like mm -hmm. let's let's not call it colonize that either <laughs> yeah no it's it's interesting to hear you talk about these things because i'm realizing as we're recording which is also fun to connect the dots um <laughs> that you and i are probably the same age that you and i graduated into a very probably similar situation and had sort of similar goals mm -hmm. um to want to teach um we both also idolized selena uh, <laughs> for the very same reasons um because i felt for so long you know i i watched that jennifer lopez movie like anytime it's on tv i would just watch it because and i remember this one scene in particular where she was giving a a press conference in <laughs> mexico and she's like i'm much, i'm muy excited like she doesn't know the word for excited in spanish and you know i don't speak spanish i i i grew up in a very like colonized mindset of like you are only going to speak english and i remember seeing that and feeling like so seen i was like that's me like trying to talk to my grandparents <laughs> um and i identify a lot with this idea of trying to decolonize your mind and trying to like trying to trying to figure out like the ways that you suppress certain parts of your identity because of colonization um, and then other ways in which, you know, I'm a white Latina, like mm -hmm. I have a lot of privilege in that. And then there's a lot of colorism in my community that I need to contend with. Um, so it's interesting to see all those different dynamics come into play. And it's really powerful for me to hear you talk about them, um, which is wild, because before we started recording, you mentioned one of the things that you were really looking for was representation in coffee. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Small world. It all connects. It all connects. This is this is getting this is getting real meta. We're just getting I feel like we're just gonna start floating off clouds in a minute. 
<laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. I'm like, yes, the meta is like where I hit my stride. And also like even having these conversations and having like, I don't know, it's still hard to find representation, you know, like, mm-hmm. e- e- like there's like many levels of representation. Like, I don't know that I've ever had this kind of conversation with another business owner or like, yeah, I don't know. I feel like, I think there's like a value to metrics and, you know, obviously like we need to all kind of have metrics to be on the same page, to talk about the same stuff, especially when you're grading coffee and like all these things. But I don't know. I just feel like sometimes we, I know I personally like feel like my life experience and what I can bring to the table isn't enough in this industry sometimes, you know? And I just feel like sometimes it's like, that's such nonsense. And it's again, going back to that, like decolonizing and like imposter syndrome, I guess. But I think it's mostly just like learning that, like, you know, that like senses beyond knowing the like chemistry behind roasting coffee that like you know you can actually smell the reactions happening and that like I I just feel like sometimes like the sensory element of roasting coffee isn't necessarily as valued as like knowing the like physics behind roasting coffee you know and I just feel like I don't know even just having this conversation about communication and um understanding the cultural value of how somebody grew up and how that plays a role into like creating structures within your business. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know where I'm getting. You don't have to. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That's fine. And that's, that's fine. I think that that's, that's what I'm liking again, getting kind of uh, meta in this conversation right now. That's what I'm liking about this conversation as we're having (laughs) it in real time. Um, I think for the most part, when I, when I do these interviews and, I think about what, why am I here? Like, what am I, what am I trying to do? Um, I really want to let my guests talk and I, and we're certainly doing that here for sure. Um, with me asking you questions, but very rarely do I reflect back mm-hmm. on like my own experiences. Cause I really try to remove that. I mean, I have in the past, um, but as an interviewer, I'm trying to get a little bit better about removing my personal experiences. Cause I don't want to editorialize that much, but kind of seeing your light and seeing the perspectives that you have and feeling like, oh, this person shares like a lot of perspectives that I grew up with as well, but also vastly different, Mm -hmm. um, which speaks to the importance of representation because, you know, Latinx folks are not a monolith. Like it's, it's important to see people from a variety of different backgrounds be successful and be able to say like, this is my story. This is how I got here. And you can be, you know, you can do this too because I don't know because you you're seeing it you're seeing other people achieve it yeah so let's talk a little bit about COVID nineteen because something that I noticed pretty much right when coronavirus hit is that Little Waves had a plan <laughs> you folks were ready you had a metric and I know we ta- just talked a little bit about metrics um, and sometimes how they can be not super useful but in this instance yeah. You were very public with your 
with your Instagram following or with the people who follow you folks about like, we need to sell 230 bags of retail coffee to keep going. So can you talk a little bit about when you realized that something was going to have to change? Yeah. um, I mean, I think March 10th is like such a clear date for us uh, in terms of like hearing, you know, I feel like Leon and I had just gotten back from like our first trip in a really long time. We had gone to Puerto Rico um, just on like a really short vacation. And as soon as we got back, it was like COVID like hit, you know, and it was just like, I remember really like this sense of like what the hell I don't we don't really know what the hell's happening how long this is gonna last you know we were being told that it was gonna last like I don't know I can't even remember like seven weeks or something (laughs) so maybe yeah something like that something really short um so we had this like you know, we were kind of looking to see like what other people in the industry were doing and immediately, like we didn't close our shops immediately. Um, But the more we kept going without closing our shops, the scarier it got. And so like, I think that was like sign number one that we like needed to like shift our model to pick up only. And like, you know, we, we had all of our department heads like kind of meet and talk about like how the hell are we going to weather this like you know we were also kind of caught in a time where we had invested in different like we had invested a little bit of money into into roles that we didn't necessarily have the money to have yet but like we were putting a timeline on it and then covid happened so we were already like in the bank, like we weren't in the best position to like, if we don't have any business tomorrow, like, you know, and from there on out, like we're screwed. So we were trying to figure out like, how do we stay open, keep everyone paid, not have to lay anyone off. So that's kind of where the metrics came in. Like, here's how much money we need to make on a daily basis to keep everyone paid. And uh, Leon was the one who kind of put that metric into like, 230 bags you know like if we're if we can't let people into our shops we need to sell bags of coffee that we can ship so we saw this huge spike in online sales overnight and you know mandy and i were just like okay (laughs) like whoa like we don't we're not ready for this production yet and i was literally like staying until like 1 a.m like stickering bags and like you know like just doing everything that we could to like stay open and our messaging was like out of hand like not out of hand it was like in this like mode of like like do or die where we were literally like posting something every two hours on social media which reminded me of our days of like getting started in like 2011 2012 when we did our kickstarter um one of the things that I really love and admire about Leon is that he he really like will not stop until something gets done. And, you know, it's it's a blessing and a curse because it can also be really bad for his health. But he like 
I don't know that I could have done this on my own without his like leadership as well. But then that's why we make a great team. Um, but it was that like having that idea of like putting some ideas out on the table and saying like, you know, how can we cut hours? How do we like, you know, we did end up having to cut our hours down. Um, but w even within that, it's like, okay, what can we afford? And we immediately communicated with all of our team members, like how many hours do you need, you know, a week to survive? Like, and, and we were like, be as honest as possible. And, you know, it's just taking into account, like, I don't know. We basically like asked that question out to our team. Some of them like came with like, I actually just, I need 40 hours. And some people said like 27 or 35, you know? And so we, within that, like some people said like, I don't want to risk it. I'm going to, you know, not work. So some people opted out. And the thing about our team is that we're a very big team, but we have a lot of part-time people. So some of the part-time people decided to like opt out. Um, and everyone who needed the work, like we did everything that we could to keep them employed and to keep getting them those 40 hours. It's a lot better now, but in the very beginning, it was a little bit harder to get them the full right. 40 hours. Um, but yeah, I mean, honestly, it was just like overnight, like we had to come up with a plan and we had to figure out like where like where can we cut expenses we immediately reached out to our landlords and figured out like if they would be willing to like let us pay rent like next month or you know how whatever we could get right. um some of our loans that we had like we were able to defer um so yeah we were just like trying to figure out like where within all of this massive you know, like expenses of right. operating three three shops in a grocery, like can we cut like down without putting our employees out of work? Right. Um, and it seems like you had really honest conversations with people about what what that looked like. Yeah. If someone could maybe work less, if somebody maybe wanted to stay home. I know people who were let go from their jobs the day shelter in place started. Like yeah. that's, you know, that's the stark difference between what you did versus what, I don't know if a lot of coffee shops did, but I do know people who the minute there was signs of distress, there was no conversation. They were, yeah. they were out of work. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, honestly, for us, it was just like a no brainer. Like, like I said, in the very beginning, right? Like everything that we do is heart driven and thinking about the whole and like common good and it's it yeah it just it wasn't even a question you know it's just like how do we get it done um yeah but yeah it's not like we're still in that same boat and we're still in that same situation like now that like things have opened up a little bit more like we're starting to see like um a slowdown on online sales and you know, it's starting to get scary because at this point, it's like we're all exhausted of hearing ourselves say the same thing over and over. Um, but it's it's I think one of the things that really helped was that, like, everyone on our team was like on the same page and we were all on board to like do whatever it took to 
stay safe and and stay open. This reminds me of another uh, Latinx owned business leader who I think that you would really you would get along with really well. Uh, Her name's Erica Escalante. She's been on the show before too. And something that I think a lot about with her is that she is really good about naming needs, about Mm -hmm. saying like, this Mm -hmm. is what I need to keep going. This is what I need from you in this moment. And looking at you folks come up with that 230 number and, you know, blast it from the rooftops that's that's you folks saying this is what we need you let the need be known yeah which is not natural sometimes sometimes it's really hard to name your needs and then put them out there and then even if they can't get met at least at least you know what the need is and there's a potential for somebody to come meet it yeah absolutely i yeah i'm i'm very grateful and thankful that like Liam was able to come up with that very specific need because it made it very tangible and made it very accessible for people to like know how to support. Yeah. People want to support you. They just need to know how to. Yeah. Uh, I want to talk about a different metric that you also have. Uh, When I was researching little waves, I found a statistic that said that 85% of your team is a, are women, and then 65% are bilingual, Mm -hmm. which is so powerful. It's so powerful to put that into numbers. And (laughs) I think it's really easy in the coffee industry, or really any industry, let's face facts, um, to say like, oh, we can't hire for diversity. There's no no people out there. Or how do other people do it? Um, And it seems like it's very natural for you. So I was wondering what, what it meant to put that statistic together and you know, what would you say to people who are struggling with diversity? Yeah, I feel like the only reason we really come up with those numbers and those like, (laughs) you know, statistics is for like when we're applying for things or like, you know, honestly, like it's such a like, we're at this point, we don't even think about it. Like, it's just the way we do things. Um, But when we first opened our first location in 2013, we put out our application and it was all white men who worked at other coffee shops. And we were like, whoa, okay, cool. (laughs) Uh, We need to figure out how to put our application ads out in, you know, places that are going to be seen by people of color, at least, you know. So we ended up like, um, we knew that we needed to do more work than just putting our application out. Um, And I think little by little, like the more representation you see behind the bar, the more it kind of feeds itself. Like people come in and they see themselves behind the bar and they know that it's an opportunity for them that they can also see themselves there. So I feel like it's partly like just being really intentional in where you're putting your application and being intentional in like if you don't get the results like go back to the drawing board and do it again you know like don't settle for not getting the results essentially um the other thing that's really important is having representation and leadership um because i feel like that really helps color like where you can put your application out you know and um even just like connecting to the community and to other leaders in the community about your application and word of mouth and 
you know, at our Lakewood location, which is our third location, it's a predominantly like black and brown neighborhood. And we intentionally did churros at this location because for me, it was a way of um, allowing the Latinx community to feel like comfortable coming into a coffee shop um, because I want them to know that this coffee shop is for them as well, that this is not just a coffee shop, this is a space for them. And I mean, churros are such a, you know, important nostalgic memory of mine, uh, like growing up in Tijuana and like being able to get like fresh churros by a, a street vendor and moving to the United States and not having the ability to find the same style in the same quality of churros. Um, so I feel like churros have like a huge important like power for me in in um, being able to connect with the Latinx community here. Um, and so we put our like as we were building out this location, we put uh, like a chalkboard outside in Spanish saying like we're hiring, you know, like come apply inside. Um, so like really being intentional about hiring even from within the community that we're in. Um, and just, yeah, I think it's really not that hard once you get people in the door, you know, like once yeah. you train them and I mean, obviously you're, you're hiring people for their personality and, you know, them being a person of color or from whatever background is just an added bonus in terms of representation. Yeah. It seems like once you have the blueprint for what you need to do, the actions, it's the, the actions themselves are pretty easy to execute on. Yeah. I was just going to say, like, kind of going back to your question about Latina led, it wasn't really until I literally looked around our business and saw so many Latina women in our, in our team and being like, okay, like, that's really freaking cool. Like, how much of an impact me being Latina has on who's applying. I want to talk a little bit about your role with the Coffee Coalition for Racial Equity. Mm -hmm. How did you get involved with that? Yeah, I saw Phyllis um, Johnson's open letter to the industry. And I think for me, it was like A no-brainer. I contacted her like immediately and was like, one, I wanted to work with her. I wanted to buy coffee from her because it's really important to me, like in, in my sourcing of coffee of green coffee, like I also want to support and bring women to the forefront when it comes to like women producers and even like women importers and especially women of color. Like, I think that it's so valuable. Representation isn't just behind the bar. It's also like, who's buying the coffee from who, right? And so I had reached out to Phyllis and like wanted to, to work with her. And I was like looking on her um, website. And um, initially, like we had a conversation and it was kind of related to, um, to working together and like, I wanted to know more about her business and I wanted to know more about, you know, I was really interested and really intrigued by this particular project that she was working on in getting coffees from Afro-Brazilians in Brazil. 
um, and specifically like Afro-Brazilian women. And she talked a lot about, or she wrote this really beautiful article on her website about, you know, the history of coffee and the history of um, slave labor and coffee and how um, Black women in Brazil, like, or just Black folk in Brazil don't have access to land ownership. And like, honestly, like that was something that makes total sense when you think about the history of this world, but I had never thought about that, you know? Like I have been buying coffee from Brazil since we started in 2017 and it never like dawned on me that like, I haven't seen a lot of like Afro-Brazilian names or like, or people on the roster in a lot of these like places that I was buying coffee from. And so like to read that, it was just really impactful. And I got so excited about the idea of working with Phyllis and our conversation kind of led to like saying like, I really appreciate your open letter. And like, I am so invested and interested in like participating in like in whatever form or fashion. And then she like wrote me this email saying that she was creating people, like she was creating a board and she wanted to invite me to be a part of it. And so immediately said, yes. That's really cool. Um, again, to the power of, you know, reaching out, saying a thing out loud yeah. and making things happen. Um, I feel like we've done a lot of shifting and thinking uh, about big ideas and, and going from big to small. There's just a lot of movement, which is really interesting and compelling to me. I'm thinking about just like the idea of movement. And then of course I'm coming back to the idea of little waves, just like little <laughs> waves on the dock. Um, and I was wondering, you know, as you've had this conversation with me and as you've reflected on all these different things in your business and your life, um, like what, like, what do you want people to know about you? Hmm. Wow, what a powerful question. <laughs> um, wow, what do I want people to know about me? It, maybe it helps to anchor it in the business, and not necessarily that has to be uh, about just, us. just in that. Yeah, yeah. but, but maybe, maybe thinking about the business and then maybe thinking about you more specifically, that might be a better launching point. Yeah, I mean, I feel like, you know, it's so hard to distinguish ourselves in an industry that, you know, is so saturated. And yet, I feel like we're all in this for very similar reasons. And so I think, you know, for me, it's like, I don't know, I really love where coffee is shifting towards in terms of culturally. I love that there's this like support of each other and um, like kind of this whole uh, era of secrecy <laughs> and like, you know, like trade secrets and, you know, profiles and whatever. Like, I feel like we're going in the opposite direction now where it's like, you know, I have a really wonderful relationship with Kyle and Lem of Black and White, where literally when COVID like hit, 
we like reached out to each other and like have been supporting each other through this whole thing like we've literally bought coffee off of each other when like mm-hmm. you know like transportation like freight transportation has been backed up and like we run into this issue of like like you know like we we ran out of coffee because of this crazy spike in sales which is a great problem but also like what do you do when you don't have coffee to roast um you know it's been really nice to to be able to have that kind of relationship with them but in terms of like little waves itself like i feel like we're just a group of like really kind-hearted people who are I don't know I I like to call them rooted reverberations which are these like undercurrent like vibrations that we're all putting out I feel like everyone who's been attracted to working at Cocoa Cinnamon and Little Waves are people who are putting out these like beautiful vibrations into this world who are all working towards like creating a better world whether they know it or not at the end of the day like they're all like planting seeds of like I don't know, this love frequency almost, you know, and I feel like, yeah, I, I, I feel like for me, that is what drives our need and our urgency of like having to sell 230 bags a day in that we're still not out of that, but that, you know, like when you're thinking about who you're going to support with your dollars, like, I hope people think of us and I hope people think of other like black and brown owned businesses to support because I think this is the time. It's always been the time, but this is the time like now more than ever. Well, thank you so much for taking time to talk to me. I really appreciate it. And I think that this goes without saying, but this conversation has really fed my soul in a way I didn't Mm. expect. That's so good to hear. Thank you so much.